This is the companion discussion to Ruth chapter 4. I'm Joshua Savage, producer of the Book of Ruth. I'm joined in these episodes by Elijah DeYoung, recent graduate of Mid-America Reformed Seminary. Elijah has served as a pastoral intern at OPC Churches in Joliet, Illinois, and Concho, Arizona. He is currently serving as a year-long intern in the OPC Church in Grants Pass, Oregon. In these chapter-by-chapter discussions, Elijah and I will discuss the narrative and theology of the Book of Ruth. In this episode, we explore the importance of the other, nameless kinsman-redeemer unwilling to bear the cost of redemption, the rich blessing of Boaz and Ruth by the elders and people of Bethlehem, the final restoration and filling of Naomi, and the incredible ending of the book of Ruth, with a genealogy leading first to King David, and ultimately to the King of Kings. Well, we come at last to chapter four. Thanks again, Elijah, for uh, doing these episodes and for explaining and helping to explain the book of Ruth. So chapter four, um, everything comes and is wrapped up in a, in a really wonderful way. And so to introduce this by way of Ferguson's wonderful book, again, this is Faithful God, an exposition of the book of Ruth by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, the fourth chapter of Ruth is not only the last chapter in the book, it is also the climax. Here, the purposes of God, or at least the next stage in his purposes, begin to become clear. At the personal level, the message of the book of Ruth is of God's faithful love leading to a restoration and blessing, both physical and spiritual. And I think we do see that probably best in this chapter. All of the ups and downs of Naomi's walk, her emptiness at the beginning in chapter one, her uh, seeing God's plan in chapter two, and then her very ambiguous at best plan in chapter three make their fulfillment. Uh, Ruth, who is this uh, wonderful woman of God who was converted out of, uh, out of her Moabite culture and religion, is also blessed by a marriage to, to Boaz. And Boaz has promised Ruth in chapter 3 uh, that he will perform the duty of a kinsman to her. But the catch is that he will only do this if a closer kinsman redeemer does not fulfill his duty. So let's start there. So Elijah, what, what's happening in this, in this section? Well, okay. So we don't know exactly how close this closer redeemer is, but he's definitely closer than, uh, than Boaz. So he, he gets the first, the first crack, so to speak, at being the redeemer. And so Boaz does this. Uh, he sets this whole confrontation up. According to the law of God, he sets it up with witnesses, with the elders. He sets everything up out in the open. This is not him trying to uh, wheedle his way into more possession. This is him wanting to make sure that this is above board. This is done the way it needs to be done. So he, I'm sorry, this is me getting nerdy about Hebrew. Um, (laughs) Boaz never mentions this man's name. He never mentions who this is. He says, turn aside friend. That's how the ESV translates it. I'm not a hundred. Do you know how, how um, the KJV translates it in uh, verse one? Um, the, the way that I saw this in the, the old Geneva translation 
is uh, that the kinsman redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, sit down here. I don't even know if, if yeah. friend was even part of that. That was really good, actually, <laughs> because the whole point of this is, well, okay, friend is, is way too generous. He says, uh, he says, turn aside uh, Poloni Almoni, which literally translates to a certain one, someone. And even that's a generous translation. <laughs> He's like saying basically, hey, you, or um, turn aside blank, you know, and, and sit down here. And that blank, of course, is just uh, literally that. It's, he's, it's not a, a, him substituting that for something else. It's just him saying, turn aside, uh, sit down here. You know? <laughs> like, he doesn't, he doesn't bother with naming this fellow. And of course, that kind of strikes our interest, like unnamed people off the top of the, you know, off the top of our heads. It's like, oh, okay, is there something special about this person? Well, okay, so we scroll down through, we we continue through this um, this whole confrontation, and we see Boaz offering this chance to be the the kinsman redeemer to this man, and this sounds like a good deal for him. Uh, basically. Uh, he's viewing this like we talked about earlier, him being Naomi's kinsman redeemer. So he's saying, okay, maybe I marry this woman, right? Um, I take care of old Mrs. Naomi. She dies because she's not able to have kids. Um, I'm good. Like I get all her land when she dies. That stays with me because I've done my duty. So he looks at this and he says the cost uh, is really outweighed by the benefit. It's, it's a low risk scenario here where I just take care of Naomi until she passes away. And then all this land is mine and it goes to my children after me. And so you're saying that is the way that Boaz is setting this up for the, the other kinsman redeemer in the sure. first part of his, yeah, of his, of his news, speech. You know? <laughs> it's the good news. Yeah. Um, he, Boaz is literally just saying, Hey, you know, Hey, this is your opportunity um, and buy it in the presence of those sitting here. He says, Naomi has come back to the land of, of Moab. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to uh, our relative Elimelech. Uh, whether she actually had the land uh, when she came back is, is an interesting thing that is percolating in the back of my head still, just because there's the whole law of like Jubilee, like what happened to this land while they were gone? I, I'm not 100% clear that the, the passage doesn't say, but it's interesting to kind of wonder what happened. But now she's selling it. Um, so Boaz says, you know, I thought I'd come tell you of it and say, buy it here. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. If you won't, I'll take it. Probably this, you know, uh, Poloni Almoni fellow is like, wow, why is Boaz even giving me this option? This is great. You know, of course I'm going to take this. This is such an easy way to get free land. Uh, but then Boaz drops the other sandal and he says, um, you know, the day you buy this field from the, the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the dead. And here's where that you have to marry in order to keep the, um, the line going on, uh, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So now this man looks at this offer and he says, hold up, there's way more to this. Um, I bring in to my household, Naomi and Ruth. 
I marry Ruth. We have a child together. Now I'm supporting Naomi, Ruth, and this child all the way up, you know, until they're able to take care of themselves. And then that land goes back to them. That land doesn't stay with this redeemer. He pays his money for that. Uh, and he, he takes on the responsibility of Naomi, Ruth, and uh, this possible child. And then at the end, he gets nothing. Why? Why? He's like, why would I bother? You know, <laughs> uh, yes. and he says, you know, lest I impair my own inheritance. Uh, you know, some people wonder if like the, the land, all of his land would go to, um, to Naomi and, and Ruth and their line. I really don't think so. I think that's, he's more saying like, I could waste some of my money that, that would then go to my, my children. I would waste my own, uh, my own resources. Um, but I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it because the cost is just too high for too little possibility of payoff. So what is the result? The result is he's worried about his own inheritance. He's worried about, okay, inheritance here is, is talking about the genealogical, geneal, ah, what is the word I'm looking for? Genealogical. Thank you. Genealogical. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, he's looking for that continuation. He's expecting that his name will be known. Um, but really his hesitancy and his saying, no, but as you take this one, I'm worried. I'm too worried about the name of my children. I'm too worried about the wealth of my children. I'm too worried about what happens to me and my family. That ensures it's the nail in the coffin that the only way he will be remembered in scripture is as Palmoni Almoni. That's the only way we know him. And if he unnamed. had, yes, unnamed, redacted, you know, if we had, okay, again, playing the what if I I'm dreading, uh, I'm treading on thin ice here. I know. But you know, if he had uh, said, yes, I will, I will obey God's call. I'm quite sure that his name would be recorded. Um, and you know, obviously that, that was not God's plan. God's plan was that uh, instead of this clean line, the continuation of a very uh, murky line, you know, thinking about Tamar, thinking about Rahab, that would be what would then live on through history. Today, we're, we're talking about Boaz because Boaz was uh, a, a type of Christ. Boaz was a follower of God. Boaz was faithful to the law and the calling of the law on him. And today we're mocking this fellow because he's unnamed. He made the wrong choice and he's forever. He'll be the, the laughing stock. And I think, I think Greg Ball who narrates this, this chapter does a very wonderful job of setting this up. Uh, Boaz knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows exactly how to frame this. Um, and again, because Boaz can see through the surface level, he's not, He's not offended or or intimidated by the the name Ruth the Moabitess because once again Boaz now says this in that verse on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess the wife yeah. of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance um, and I I don't know about this but I I'm wondering if this is maybe the only time we see. <laughs> We see him use that term for her. I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see. Well, I, I want to look back now. Uh, I'm not going to waste time during, well, he said here, but like, I'm, 
I think you're right. And he's using it not as a derogative. Like he's not using it to her. He's using it in order to get what he knows needs to be, you know, he, he knows the character of this fellow. Um, yes. Yeah. And the character of Ruth, um, mm-hmm. as we saw in chapter three. So this is, this is the, this is the beginning of the end. Um, this is a, a wonderful conclusion to the romance of, of, of Ruth and Boaz but as you said in, in chapter one and in the overview, Naomi is probably the main character. We begin with her and now we end with her. Um, we have this wonderful prayer and blessing that the elders um, and the people say to him. Because we, we read that all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses Mm. of this transaction of this of this redeeming of of Ruth and Naomi Yahweh make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah who both built the house of Israel and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which Yahweh will give you from this young woman can we take a moment here to just talk about this blessing (laughs) because okay i always imagined i i do not think that the um the witnesses are doing this tie-in-cheek this is completely sincere and they it's a, a an outpouring of love but at the same time let's say naomi heard this blessing you have rachel and leah who both heard the promise of god and tried to accomplish it according to their own, uh, their own like work. They both heard, you know, like, okay, so our husband is going to be blessed and Hey, like, how can we, how can we work against each other so that we have more kids under our belt? (laughs) How can we try to, uh, to up our stock? You know, how can we try to give our maidservants so that, um, the line is continued. And then, uh, Tamar and Judah. It's another one where uh, Tamar took matters into her own hands. Uh, she was, she, she knew she was promised this third son. She knew she was promised the kinsman redeemer and she took matters into her own hands. And that one is just, it's so easy to be like, Oh, Tamar shouldn't have done what she did or Judah shouldn't have done what he did. But God used that whole mess he used that whole mess and everybody trying to control the situation to show both sides that he controlled the whole narrative and he had what was best for them in mind. It, it is a really, uh, a really wonderful blessing. And also it, it calls to mind what Boaz has heard. I and mean, we talked about some of the murmuring that happened in chapter one, but one thing that people were talking about apparently was this Ruth this Ruth is a virtuous woman uh, because Boaz mentions in chapter two. And so I think you're right. This is not tongue in cheek. These, these townspeople are genuinely so happy for Ruth and Naomi because Ruth has proven herself to be a virtuous person. Um, And of course, then we get into how Naomi herself is, 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 uh, is redeemed in a sense. Um, I do have to say, I love, in the next verse, 
uh, once Ruth and Boaz are husband and wife, Yahweh gave her conception. Yes. Yahweh gave her conception, which again is a very interesting uh, kind of play off of what you were just talking about with Rachel and Leah and Tamar. Um, but also just the beauty of God still in control of this, even when it's quote unquote resolved. Well, this is such a comfort too, because of course this book is one that uh, I think many, many, it appeals to a lot of women because it talks to specifically their experience and their desires. And it just ends with this idea that God loves his daughters. God loves his people and he is, sovereignly in control and when you follow him when you swear yourself to him he takes care of you so comforting and and as we see with naomi even when we're running away from him at you know at the top speed at the top of our speed you know he's still there following along behind like railing us back and saying hey you know and that brings us to what the women say to Naomi, which again is, is just so breathtaking. Um, Blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a kinsman redeemer and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be a restorer to you of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. What, what do you see in this blessing? Well, the number seven. Let's start there. No, <laughs> yes, I think that is actually very important. It is. I, I don't want to be like numerology and all that, but um, it, it is really amazing how this is. She started out, quote unquote, full. She had two sons, both of whom turn their, turn their backs, you know, or at the very least were, were foolish in their, in their picking of a, a wife. You know, they, they went to the Moabites, uh, Moabites. And now we see how, well, we see what full really looks like. We see fullness is a matter of the heart, not what we see with our eyes. You know, in Naomi's perspective, she went out full with two sons and returned empty with zero sons. But in reality, she went out empty with a husband and two sons who uh, were not strong enough believers to stay and wait for God's blessing. And she came back full with one Moabitess who outshines, I think you can argument, make the argument that she outshines every believer in this book. Even Boaz. I mean, yes. the, the two of them were very close, but like Ruth's, Ruth is just like, she doesn't have any power. She doesn't have any power in the narrative, but she continues to follow God. And she t- continues to do what is right, even in the, the face of so much uh, adversity. So, so we see God giving her fullness and, and that pivots on, like, I, I think, uh, the verse, you know, he shall be to you a restorer of life. We talked about this in between uh, our discussions, the the return of the word shuv. You know? <laughs> yeah, at the beginning you have shuv used twice in chapter one. Um, and, and it's all like, you know, don't tell me to return uh, to my people. And, and they return uh, to Bethlehem. But then here you have a return, a, a reversal of fortunes, so to speak, you know, a reversal of, uh, the emptiness, and we have a, a filling um, through this this 
nourisher of the old age, uh, which is is Boaz, uh, which is Obed and and Ruth. And and I think with with the number seven, I, I like you're saying, I don't think that's a a a happenstance thing because of course in in Israel seven would be the number of completion. Yes, if, if I'm understanding that correctly, and so if 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 she's saying that this daughter-in-law is better to you than the the perfect number of sons, <laughs> she is better than perfect. Yes, uh, and she has given birth to him. Yeah, so amazing. It is really interesting that the role of redeemer is changed here in these verses, 13 to uh, 17. They talk about this. The, the women, they say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven son, sons has given birth to him. They're not talking about Boaz. They're talking about Obed. They're talking about the, uh, it's, a, it's a generation of redeemers here. You have Boaz, you know, Boaz is the, the, I mean, obviously no Obed without Boaz. <laughs> but you have also like, this is not just like, okay, so uh, Boaz is your redeemer and it ends there. There's hope for the future um, in Obed. And, and he is, he's going to be a redeemer for this family. He's going to be a redeemer for this nation you know, as his line continues and it, and it telescopes from there. Yes, so. that is that is such a wonderful insight. And I think that's reflected there in the next section. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the women uh, gave this infant a name, but they say there is born a son to Naomi. And as I was reading this, of course, the 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 flash comes from the new Testament where we, where we read in, in the second chapter of Luke, there is born this day in the house of David, a son. Um, So let's talk about this, this wonderful ending Um, because I think you could agree. They could have ended (laughs) this by saying (laughs) they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. That would have been an ending, but instead we get, this bigger picture and we start all the way back, not with Judah, which is interesting, but with Perez, these are the generations of Perez. So what do you see here in this, in this uh, genealogy? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have the importance of uh, family in God's sight. You have the importance of generation and and offspring uh, in God's plan, which I'm just going to start chucking out terms here. I'm, I'm just going to start chucking out some, some weird, like things, how this connects in. So bear with me. It, it's covenant family. First of all, he's saying, this is my covenant nation and this is a family unit that I'm going to use. Um, but looking back to Genesis three fifteen, which is really where, where God lays out the whole idea of uh, Christ being the ultimate, uh, the ultimate child who's going to, to come and, and, bring uh, salvation. He's going to fix the damage done in the garden. He says, I'm sorry, Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. That offspring idea is so key there. Um, And then jump down to Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, the idea of motherhood there. 
uh, very important as well. The two of those go together. Um, and then this is something that uh, actually Tony Dominic pointed out to me. And it's just, you know, like one of those things that blows your mind. Um, Genesis 4, chapter 1. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Um, and, and this really is, uh, Cain sounds like the, the, the word gotten, you know, in Hebrew. And she says, you know, I've I got, I got him. I've got the one who will restore mankind. I've got the one who's going to make this all right. He's going to fix me and, and Adam's mistakes, you know, Adam's mistakes uh, and mine. And then it turns out that Cain is a failure. Cain is a sinner. Cain is not the promised Messiah. And so I, I really do think, and whether this is a subconscious thing or not, but every mother through the Old Testament, like you think of Hannah, how desperately she wanted a son. Um, having a child, having the next generation is so incredibly important to them because they know that in the future is coming the offspring that will crush the, the serpent's offspring. And so obviously that, you know, that's why we have genealogies. That's why we add genealogy after genealogy. We work our way through the Old Testament till we come to the New Testament. We have this genealogy that ends with Christ that echoes this genealogy here in this in Ruth chapter four. And then there's no more genealogies because it all ends with uh, Christ being you know, the, the fullness of this from generation to generation, God's loving kindness bringing this along and every generation looking forward to the coming hope and saying, maybe this is the one. And then Christ comes and fulfills it all. And that ties perfectly back with what we talked about with the Kinsman Redeemer. This is why God had made such an important point of this law. It's not just to fill genealogies on paper in some arcane library. It's because the Messiah would come. Yes. He would come and he's going to come from this line. (laughs) Um, As Jacob himself, when he, when he was dying in Egypt looked and he could, he could see the scepter will not depart from Judah. Um, Yes. So there's, I think there's something profound with that. Um, Noah is another example. Is this the one who's going to save? Yes. Save us. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) It is really fascinating though. It's just so fascinating how you have this, like this, this desire, you have this hope. And then, you know, just generation after generation, you see sinner after sinner, and then you finally get this restoration. It's just so beautiful. Sinclair Ferguson in his, in his book, Faithful God, uh, really sums this up very well. And he riffs off of a, a wonderful line from the hymn writer, William Cooper, who says in his very famous hymn, deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, God treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And so Sinclair Ferguson concludes in this way, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, God has quarried deeply in them. What is his purpose? He is mining for diamonds. And by the end of the book, all three know that it has been worth it. They have experienced God's has said, his faithful love has led them, provided for them and filled them. The story that began for Naomi at a time when there was no king in Israel became a day when there was no bread in Bethlehem and then a dark night in which there were no children in her family. Now her covenant keeping All-sufficient God, Yahweh and El Shaddai, has given her a grandson, 
and within a few generations will give Israel its greatest king. He is a faithful God. He does all things well. Well said. So good. And of course, that fulfillment is is even more in Christ. Um, How does this touch down for us? Because everything in the Old Testament was focused on bringing Christ to the nation of Israel, bringing Christ through uh, generation after generation. So what do we, are we, do we, what do we do now? Like, okay, so are we left without a purpose? No, our purpose is, is to bring Christ now to the nations in a different way. And our, our purpose is to live Christ out before, you know, before the Moabites, <laughs> which is ironic because, you know, yes. the is so, so integral to this story. Well, and if it, again, if we think about, about Boaz himself as a prototype of David, who was a man after God's own heart, but then of course, all the promises of, of David's son being David's Lord. And if you really think about it, who could, who could possibly be more a man after God's own heart than Christ? Yeah. And then we have those promises in Hebrews. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. Um, he, at the end of Matthew, he says, uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, it, all the prophecies of him in, in Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And so it's one of those things where we look at, at these characters, we look at Ruth, we look at Boaz, we look at Naomi, but especially Boaz as this person who is who is trusting God and, and pursuing him. Well, we have with us all the time present with us through his spirit. We have Christ, um, a man after God's own heart. And of course we're being transformed more and more into that as well as believers, as men and women, as brothers and sisters, as children of of God. Um, Well, thank you, Elijah. This has been really, really wonderful. Um, I hope that's been helpful for people just to get a glimpse into Ruth. Of course, there's so much more we could talk about. So, um, so thank you for, uh, for walking us through Elijah. Well, thank you for having me and <laughs> putting up with my rants. <laughs> I will happily put up with your rants any day of the week. Thank you. <laughs> The Book of Ruth is read by Greg Ball, cover designed by Seth Haller, music by Scott Buckley. You can hear more of his amazing music at scottbuckley.com.au. The Book of Ruth and this podcast are produced by me, Josh Savage. To listen to our recording or read our translation of all four chapters of Ruth, visit our ReadyMag site, linked in the show notes below. Subscribe to our feed on iTunes Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts.